KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power is presenting Indian fusion band Red Bharat, mixing Indian bhangra rhythms, hip-hop, and funk music, March 23rd at the Epstein Family Amphitheater. Tickets and information about upcoming concerts and events at artpower.ucsd.edu. San Diego is one of the largest scientific research hubs in the country. So who are the intrepid scientists in search of discovery, pushing the frontiers of human knowledge? This is Rad Scientist, where the scientist becomes the subject. I'm your host, Margot Wall. Today's Rad Scientist is a star man. Uh, my name is Robert Quimby. I am director of the Mount Laguna Observatory and a uh, associate professor of astronomy at San Diego State University. Robert studies what happens when dying stars explode in space. But his career as an astronomer almost didn't happen. To understand why, we have to go back to Orange County in the mid-90s when Robert was only a teen. Uh, I was just kind of a band nerd in high school. And I had two trombones, and I'd take them home every day, and I'd practice. Uh, so I'm leaving one day. I'm getting in my car right next to the school with my two trombones. And somebody leans out of a window from one of the school buildings and yells to me, hey, do you play trombone? And I'm looking at the two trombones in my hand. I was like, yeah. And he said, do you want to join my band? Okay. He said, hey, we got a a gig on Saturday and our trombone player is grounded. Uh, Can you sit in for him? Uh, That was the start. The band was called Two for One Special at the time. But you might know them by their other name, Real Big Fish. And their specialty was ska music. You remember ska, right? I ended up in that band in 1994, right? Ska was not a household word in 1994, so I didn't know what ska was until I got into a ska band, basically. And you get into it, and you hear what it is, and it's like, oh, okay, this is actually, I like this. So yeah, I like ska. And so did a lot of other people. The band went on tour the summer of his senior year in high school. He was basically living the dream. Show up in some, you know, record store in the middle of nowhere, and people would show up because they'd heard of your band, and you'd play a set, and it was amazing. It was just so great to, to do all those shows. In a small car, at, you know, a tiny hotel room, 12 people in one hotel room, because they're two ska bands, so you got all these horns. You know, you're on the road, you know, a few weeks, you're next to these people every minute of the day. And you know if, if you're going to do that, either you're going to hate everybody at the end or you're going to love everybody. And when it came out, just everybody loved each other at the end of that. But even the most perfect summer can't last forever. And Robert had an acceptance letter from Berkeley burning a hole through his baggy jeans. I, I had this choice. I was like, what am I going to do? Am I going to go into this band, which you know may or may not make it? You, you don't know at that point. I never... I never thought I would be a musician. I never thought I would just go in, into to music and be a rock star. That wasn't my, my dream, I guess. I always wanted to be a scientist. That was just what was in me was I wanted to go out and, and do research. Robert left the band a year before they released their hit single, Sell Out. Real Big Fish would go on to tour the world, but so would Robert, at least in his own way. He started where many scientists start, as an undergraduate research assistant. I uh, wanted to do some summer research, and I just sent out like a terrible email to everybody in the department trying to find uh, a job for the summer. And I ended up getting a job uh, with this group called Supernova Cosmology Project. 
They were just the, the ones who decided to take me on. The Supernova Cosmology Project. Sounds epic, and it is. To understand why, we need to get familiar with supernova, or, in Japanese, Chōshinsei. In almost all languages, it means the same thing, super new star, which is paradoxical because a supernova is actually the death of a star. The reason they're called new stars goes back to a time before telescopes. Suddenly you look in the sky and you see uh, a star where you didn't see one before. Because you couldn't see it. It was there before, but it was so faint you couldn't see it. Now there's this huge eruption, and it got bright, and it went, okay, there's a new star. So people named them Stella Nova, new stars. So why does a star die in a fiery explosion? The answer lies in the periodic table. Basically what stars do is, is they're, they're factories to make heavier and heavier elements. They start with hydrogen, then they make... They take that hydrogen and they turn it into helium. They take that helium and they turn it into carbon and oxygen and nitrogen. And eventually you get up to silicon and then the silicon turns into iron in the core of the star. And now you have a star made of dense iron and there's no more fuel for it to burn up. The gravity of that massive iron core is pulling, pulling, pulling until it collapses into a black hole. And when that happens, you get a cataclysmic explosion. In around a second or so, you have about the mass of the sun being burnt in a nuclear reaction. I mean, there's a lot of power there. It's pretty incredible to think about. The explosion starts in the core of the star, where most of the energy is released in small particles called neutrinos. After that happens, it takes a few hours to reach the surface. But when it gets there, some of the explosive energy is released as light. They get bright and they explode, and, and uh, for thousands of years after that, you can see the remnants left behind. Supernovas are so insanely bright that modern telescopes can see them from billions of light years away. And the farther away the supernova, the older it is. So the light from a supernova 10 billion light years away is 10 billion years old, because that light takes time to travel to the Earth. And that means looking at a supernova is basically like getting into a time machine. Robert and his team used these cosmic time machines to learn something about our universe that no one expected. We've known for, since Edwin Hubble, uh, that the universe is expanding. But what we thought was that, well, the universe is filled with mass, and mass pulls things together. So we thought, okay, the universe started in a Big Bang, and it's, being, it's expanding from that, from that initial uh, Big Bang explosion. But all this mass should be slowing that down. So we expected to find a deceleration in the universe. The analogy is to you know, throw your keys up in the air, and once you, it leaves your hand, that's the Big Bang, and then it goes up to some point, and it slows down, and then it reverses and, and collapses back down. That's what the team expected to see, that the expansion of the universe is slowing down. So they came up with a clever way to test their theory. Uh, the way that we figured out the expansion rate of the universe was actually using supernova. We observed supernova at different distances, since light travels at a finite speed, if you look at something that's farther away, you're looking farther back in time. You're looking earlier and earlier into the universe. Now, to figure out expansion rate, you need to know what direction and how fast each of these supernovas, or snapshots of the universe, are moving. And there's actually a lot of information hidden in the light from a supernova. Stay with me here. The team knows the elements that make up these supernovas, things like helium and iron, 
and every element emits its own special light pattern, kind of like an optical fingerprint. We can take a spectrum of each of these objects. And by looking at the wavelengths of those lines, we can actually tell how fast it's moving towards or away from us. You can think of them as basically getting compressed. Uh, and if it's moving away from you, you can think of those waves as getting stretched out. And by looking at all those together, you can get the expansion history of the universe. Robert sits at his computer, using all this information to calculate a number, the omega lambda, or the rate the universe is expanding. If it's zero, expansion is constant. Negative, it's slowing down, and positive, it's speeding up. And I got an answer that said, all right, uh, omega lambda is 0 0.7, 0.7. And that meant really nothing to me. It, just, it was just the number that came out of the code. And everybody else seemed very excited by that because it wasn't zero. Instead of slowing down over time, it's actually accelerating. To bring it back to Robert's analogy, those keys he threw up in the air, they didn't fall to the ground. They didn't stop. They didn't even slow down. It turns out that those keys, not only are they not slowing down, they're, they're accelerating. They're, they're moving away from your hand faster and faster and flying away. But that was my only pain. We already knew that the universe is expanding, but what Robert and the cosmology team found was that the expansion is getting faster and faster. This was a really big deal. In fact, it was such a radical discovery that some people doubted whether it was actually true. It was just a matter, I think, of kind of convincing the people that really knew what was going on, what the, the, that the data were actually telling us this. Science Magazine called it the breakthrough of the year. And 13 years later, the leader of his group would share a Nobel Prize in physics for the discovery. By that time, it was 2011, and Robert had made breakthrough discoveries of his own. For one, he discovered the mother of all supernovas. So 100 years of searching for supernova, thousands of supernova were found, and I find one and it's 10 times brighter than anything before. When you find something that is so out of the scope of previous findings, you have a lot of emotions. You might even go through the three stages of discovery. Stage one, disbelief. You know, it just it didn't make any sense. It was, it was an oddball in many, many ways. Second stage, acceptance. This came after he found another supernova five times as bright as anyone had seen. Once, you know, we had this other one that was this record-breaking luminosity, it was like, okay, well, why not have two? Third stage, adrenaline. You're on a total high for, you know, a few days. And you don't sleep, you just start typing. Everything comes into place. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Since then, other scientists have found even brighter, even weirder, more distant supernovas. And Robert says there are many more out there. He's now overseeing the construction of a new telescope at the Mount Laguna Observatory, designed to find new supernova. Most people don't get in here. This is, uh, like I said, this is not designed for the public to come and look at. This is a very small room, as you can appreciate. There's not a lot of headroom, and there's a lot of hazards everywhere. There's cables on the floor. So it's going to be the largest telescope we have at the observatory. It's a 1.25 meter, and that gives us a lot of power to collect photons because you know, that's what telescopes do. They're, they're big light buckets. He's searching for far-off supernovas and galaxies far, far away, ones you can only glimpse with a huge telescope. But our own galaxy is filled with billions of stars, 
So what's the likelihood of being able to see a supernova without a telescope? Like if one explodes in our galaxy? Historically, there's been something like a few supernova in our galaxy every hundred years. No one's seen one in our galaxy in a few hundred years. So it could happen anytime. Again, it could, it, could, it could be happening right now. Right now where we're talking, there could be neutrinos flowing through us from some star that's uh, about to explode or that is exploding. Whoa. Let me just get out my pocket neutrino detector. It's going off the charts. That leads us to this episode's moment of Xenopus, a forecast from the surface of a soon-to-be supernova. All right, so weather today is going to be hot. It's going to be uh, around 10,000 degrees with uh, strong winds between uh, 10,000 and 30,000 kilometers per second. Uh, watch out for those. And it's going to be a strong chance of neutrinos coming down on us. So you're going to probably get a few hundred trillion every microsecond or so. So back to you, Margo. Thanks for that, Robert. Well, that's it for this episode of Rad Scientist. This podcast is supported by the KPBS Explore Project, bringing local content to the radio. This episode was produced by me, Margot Wall. Grant Fisher is our audio mix master and theme song composer. Shayla Farzan is script editor. Logo by Kyle Fisher. At KPBS, Emily Jankowski is technical director. Melanie Drogseth is program coordinator. Jill Linder is programming manager. Nate John is innovation specialist. And John Decker is director of programming. Subscribe to the podcast if you can and leave a review. Until next episode, stay rad. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I.